welcome to the Smoke Buds. Whoa. Radical. <laughs> Just laying down some cool beats. This is a, a cool new image for a, a cool, refreshed podcast. Um, how are you, Will? It's I'm us, doing okay. Liz and Will, the Smug yes. Buds. That's right. Hi, Liz. <laughs> I'm Will, and I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm drinking... Um, what are you drinking? Is that a Spindrift? Heck no, it's a beer. It's a cold beer. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's as I often do, I'm uh, drinking a coffee Kolsch. Oh, w- one of what? the best, one of the best Arizona beers. Wait, coffee like coffee flavored? Yes, Kolsch. Co- it's a Kolsch. I'm so confused by that. I believe you that it's good, but Co- coffee spelled with a K. Uh-huh. Kolsch, Kolsch style. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kolsch style ale brewed with coffee beans. Better than coffee, <laughs> says the can. <laughs> I'm drinking this drink. Um, Looks red with ice in it. It's a um, ru- spiced rum, hibiscus, lime, ginger syrup cocktail mm. I invented this evening. I'm sure mm. someone else has made this before, but I did not use a recipe. Coffee Kolsch is from Huss Brewing Company. I assume I'm saying that right. H-U-S-S. Hoos. Uh, could be Hoos. I'm kidding. Uh, it's. I think it's Huss. Because of the two S's. And uh, <laughs> the can uh, suggests pair this with smoked meats, wild game, lamb chops, soft cheeses, or... <laughs> Doing a podcast with your friend who lives <laughs> hundreds of miles away from me? Oh, wow. Wow, that's really good. So you should either drink that with me or the next time you see Kim. Uh, uh, yes. Our friend Kim, who has written extensively about uh, eating game and preparing oh, game. Oh, yes, the wild game aspect, yes. And who would, um, who would come back from winter break with just deer meat that she would put in our fridge at the writer's house and be like you guys can eat it <laughs> so venison. i every so often would be like i need a snack but there's no food and i would just eat deer venison it was fucking incredible yes there's also i i'm reading a lot of this can for the first time because you piqued <laughs> my curiosity and there is a message on here that is very inappropriate for our times oh no craft beer is our passion Get out and chase yours. <laughs> no, I very much need to stay in and moderate my passions. Oh, my God. How's your week been, my love? Yeah, it's been all right. We're recording this on a Thursday evening. Mm-hmm. It's May 7th, 2020. And uh, it's been an all right week. Uh, Dana and I are uh, making money moves. Uh <laughs> Uh, we are uh, we are very smart and careful and wise, and we understand that this unique moment uh, in history is a time of great uh, job security, mm-hmm. uh, financial stability, mm-hmm. and uh, overall uh, just 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 a smart uh, time to to try and buy a house. So that's what that's what we're doing. Are interest rates really low right now, though? They are, yes. I yes. mean, so in that sense, if you've got the dough, mm-hmm. like, do it. Yes, right. 
I do yes, not have the dough, so I am not buying a house right now. <laughs> yes, looking at the interest rates, it is in fact a good time for for the the very thing that we are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all I'll say about that because if I say more, then I might, you know, then I'm getting into jinx territory. <laughs> we're not we're not far <laughs> enough down the line that we're celebrating just yet. Yeah, fair. <clears throat> I um, I actually have had a good week. Oh, nice. Which is just to say. We're still in a hellscape, but mm-hmm. I haven't had any breakdowns. Yes. That, for a Thursday, <laughs> to say that about your week so far, that's fantastic. Now, that said, it's going to be cold as shit tomorrow, so we'll see what happens Friday and Saturday. Yeah, to which I will say, as you often hear me say on the subject, boo friggin' who. <laughs> it's about uh, 105 degrees uh, in yeah. uh, Tucson. <laughs> it's going to get, <laughs> these we, days. We, have a, we have a frost warning the next two nights, which sucks because we have plants outside and I think we're going to have to bring mm. them in. Yeah. Um, and it sucks to have a frost warning in May. Yeah. Um, Got to save those plants. Um, so I don't know about you, but boop, 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 old business. I oh, have yes. uh, some old business. Yes, please lay some old business on me. So, um, Nathan of Roof Beams, um, mm-hmm. I emailed uh, my um, chat book that I'm trying to get published. It's called mm. Each Other Crush Poems. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a loose crown of sonnets. And then the last poem is a love poem. Is a, not a crush poem. It's a love poem to Kenny. Yes. Um, but one of the poems quotes um, a line from Egypt, uh, which is a song he played at the last uh, virtual show he did when I sent mm-hmm. him this email because he played another one last night and like a full set show. And um, he uh, had emailed me back um, and said, I thought I had thought of a couple of questions I could answer you from the Smug Buds podcast. But right mm. now, I can only remember that the cellist referenced in Cradle was in the band Cursive. Oh, was this the metric story? Yes. And yeah. it, which is to say, apparently I got it right. I just, and which of course I would confuse metric and cursive. Like, Do, I, I don't know cursive, so I can't speak to that. But uh, uh, They're just both like indie rock bands from that time. Um mm. One of them is from Canada, but the one that's not from Canada is from, like, the very North United States. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Metric is from Canada. Then I think Cursive is from the very North United States. Um, I might only think that because a Metric song was in Scott Pilgrim, and oh, that yeah. Scott Pilgrim is Canadian. I think Metric is Canadian. I think Metric was friends with, like, Broken Social Scene and, like... Um, also in Scott Pilgrim. Yes. and Yeah, as we know. Um... And, uh, like, uh, Feist and stuff like that. Um, Stars. Okay. All Canadian, you're saying? Yeah. Is Beck Canadian? I don't know about Beck. Okay. <laughs> this is I not just information asked, I have. I just asked because uh, Beck was sort of the primary person who did music for Scott Pilgrim. Oh. In, addition, in addition to Metric and Broken Social Scene. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe a couple of others I can't remember. The other old business I have, which is, um, he played another full show last night, mm-hmm. um, which was dope. And he played, um, my favorite song ever, which is, um, of course, um, Never Tire. Yes. And I learned two things. Mm. The one is that I had been getting a lyric wrong. 
Uh-oh. So this is related to multiple podcast episodes. Yeah, that's to, right. To be fair to myself, this is from the sort of pre-chorus verse that did not make it on the album because, as Nathan told me once at a brewery, they forgot. They forgot, yes. <laughs> um, so I thought he was singing Into That Fire, and I think I know mm. how to run. Apparently, he sings Into The Spires. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> well, but okay. <laughs> I I heard him say it when uh, he played it last night and was like, "Oh mm. no!" <laughs> but he said to me, "Never Tire was heavily influenced by the book Jude the Obscure. He built cathedrals and made me very sad." Mm. And I said, uh, "I will now eventually read that book." He was like, "Ugh, it's so sad. I'm not sure I could get through it now." Mm. And I don't know if he meant now at this point in his life as an adult or now during the pandemic, but... Right, yeah. So I think that's actually all the old business I have. Do you have any old business? I don't think that I do. I mean, I have, I do have some old business that I'm holding back because okay. I uh, want to pair it with uh, my next episode just mm. because I plan on taking a long time to cover it. And so I I don't want to take up that much time on on your episode. Yeah, sure. So uh, so yeah, barring that, I don't think I have any brief old business to cover uh, I, right now. Can I tell you um, a brief anecdote before we get into the episode? Of course, always. So as you know, Elliot's been fucking weird because he's both mm-hmm. three point five and in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And today he started insisting that he wanted to take a shower. A big shower in the in my bathroom, in Mama Papa bathroom. Mm. And I was like, we can do that tonight. And he was like, no, we do it now. Because I eat breakfast and take a shower. And I was like, mm-mm. <laughs> so I was like, after dinner, I'll let you take a shower. Because it's bath night anyway. So I put him in the shower. I start the water running. I'm like sitting outside. He's like, it's too hot. It was like kind of warm. I know he likes mm-hmm. it sort of like room temp. Mm-hmm. I turn it down. No, no, I need cold water. Okay. I turn it down more. It's like almost completely on cold. No, no, colder. This motherfucker took a 15 minute shower in straight up cold water. Hmm. And do you know what Elliot has? What condition Elliot has? Not the heart. No, uh, uh, r- remind me. He has Raynaud's. Okay. Which is what Kenny has. Uh, uh-huh. And it's a circulatory thing where Kenny's hands uh, get very right. cold. Now I remember. I remember you describing Kenny this way. Yes. Yes. So Elliot also definitely has this, and so Elliot was at one point chattering. And I was like, let me turn the water up. He goes, no, I need cold water. Oh, my God. And so then I take him out of the, the bathroom and he's like, I'm so cold. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh my God. So I will show you and we'll post this to the show notes. The picture of Elliot regretting his decision to take a cold shower because I bundled him up in his towel and put him under the blankets of my bed. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that, yeah, that's a face full of regret for sure. Oh my God. Just like the sadness. 
Yeah. As you were telling that story, I started to hear it's like it was hard to make out while you were talking, but like a noise in the background, almost like a spoon clattering in a bowl. Yes, that was Rudy's. um... (laughs) Ah, yes, that was Rudy's. um, Collar, chain, collar, his tag. Tag, yeah. Hitting, he was having a drink. He's gone. Ah, yeah. Good, good for Rudy. I am, in fact, not eating something with a spoon. Neither is Penny. So, um, Will, what are you, what are we talking about this week? I don't even know. It's true. You don't. I haven't told you. So I need to text somebody. Uh Uh-oh. Because I told you there's a bit of a surprise. Yes, you, you did warn me that there would be, I I think what you called a surprise aspect. Yes. (laughs) To this episode. Which is true, um... Colors? In a multiple ways. In multiple ways. Oh, okay. So um, we're just going to, I'm just going to vamp for a second. <laughs> so I know that this, some... this would be a great time for an Elliot taking a cold shower story. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm going to give only... some context. Okay. Which is that I know that something that you like to do particularly is mm. think about structure and form. Sure. And so you like to play with structure and form. Yeah, I try. And so I wanted to use this episode mm. to play with structure and form in a way mm-hmm. that we had never done before. Yep, I like that. And so I wanted this to be um, an episode where you were surprised and then mm-hmm. you got to surprise me. Okay. And so what's is this? It, is the surprise entering the room? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, am I supposed to take something out of this hat? You're supposed to take the whole hat. Okay, I'm, t- I'm taking the whole hat. I saw it had little slips of paper in it, and it was being <laughs> held out to me. Thank Traditionally, you, what one does is <laughs> remove something from the hat. So can you explain what just now happened? I, yeah, Dana entered the room <laughs> and handed me a hat full of little slips of paper. So this episode is... A grab bag episode. This is the grab bag episode? <laughs> okay. That's cool. That's Why fine. Why are you surprised? I, I really, really thought that that, we were, that, that was going to be last. No. Oh, okay. I just, uh, it just, it just seemed like the sort of thing that like, okay, we got through uh-huh. the major topics that you wanted to cover. Now, you know, season finale, it's a grab bag of all the little things that don't fit. Well, instead, what I decided to do was have this surprise episode where... Which is also the grab bag. Yes. So here's the surprise. The surprise is that you didn't know that Dana was going to hand you a hat. Yes. (laughs) Full of small slips of paper. Uh Uh-huh. The other surprise is that in the hat are things that I uh, feel that I am smug about. Mm -hmm. And also things that Sarah, Kenny, and Dana think that I am smug about. Okay. And you're going to pick them at random. We're not going to answer all of them proper, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's, I know I turned in a lot. We'll get through as many as we can. So we'll get through what we can. And this is also an exercise for me because part of me proving that I'm smug about it is that I have basically not done any research ahead of time. Mm-hmm. All of this is just going to be me knowing and being smug about this off the top of my head. It's going to be from right off the dome. Right off the dome. 
I love it. So do you see how fun this is? I, lo- I think it's very fun. I love the creativity and the ingenuity that went into this. <laughs> and I kept a secret from you. You, you. you certainly did. Shall I? Yeah, with no more... With no further ado. A further ado. I was like, which, I was like with much ado about nothing. Okay, I can I can tell this is probably okay. I can tell this is not one that you submitted. I just okay. picked the the biggest piece of paper. But do you want to start with more of a softball? Should I pick one that you did submit? No, you, no, you I want with? you to pick at random. Okay, I randomly uh not I I randomly chose this in that I did not know what was written on it. Yes, of course. I selected it because it was big and fat uh, <laughs> compared to the other little skinny strips of paper. And here's what's written. Kenny, colon, (laughs) Bon Appetit, and more specifically, their methods of recipe testing compared to some other food influencers. (laughs) Let me read that again. Compared to some other food influencers. There, I think that's where the emphasis should go. So um, are you familiar with the Bon Appetit YouTube channel? Yeah, I've, well, just from hearing you talk about it, I don't think I've ever seen any of their content myself. So it's a delight. Everybody agrees with me. I'm not like a special person for this. Yeah, it's um, a popular it, channel. Yeah, it truly is. Um, it's sort of like the Joe Para of the cooking world. Mm-hmm. They're all friends. Um, they all genuinely love each other. Um, you know, they're in quarantine and um, some of them are in different places just by happenstance. Um, somebody, one of them, Molly was on vacation and she was in California, um, when it happened. And so she's been stuck there basically. Um, one of the contributing food editors, Rick Martinez, uh, has been traveling through Mexico for the past six months, months working on a cookbook. So he also sort of just got stuck there. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of the people that are still in New York city, um, are like traveling and like they'll bake like a, you know, a batch of whatever that they're testing and like ride their bike to other the other people's houses and like drop mm-hmm. it off on their porch. Yeah. Um I've been watching this channel for like I think as long as it's sort of actively been um posting. But also I've been getting Bon Appetit since grad school. Getting? It's a magazine. Oh, okay. It's a magazine first. I'm trying to see if I have an, an issue just lying here. I'm I'm sure I do. And um yeah. Ah, okay. So I love this magazine. It's like one of the most, their recipes are like the most consistently um, good. They um, have a really good methodology. We've had like our Christmas dinner we've pulled from Bon Appetit. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason they're so good is because of the way they do recipe testing. So they will, if one of the test kitchen cooks is developing a recipe... They'll develop the recipe usually by themselves. Sometimes they do it with somebody else. Um, But then they do something called cross-testing. So they will develop the recipe. They'll write it up. They'll um, send it through the the editor, the recipe Mm -hmm. editor, Mm -hmm. uh, which is like a separate person. That's – I don't really know who that is. And then usually Christina Chayi is the main person right now who's doing the – or is it Sola? Doing the cross-testing. And so they will then make the recipe and um, they'll also do swaps. So they'll mm-hmm. be like, well, if I was cooking the recipe and it's calling for buckwheat flour, what if I only have whole wheat flour? Because I live mm-hmm. in a place where I don't have access to, whole, to buckwheat flour. Like, sure. will the recipe turn out? Can, is that a one-to-one swap? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then they all um, give each other, they all eat it together in the task kitchen and give each other notes. And that's why these recipes are so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're so thorough. I, I would say I basically never find any, like, true errors in them. Mm-hmm. And then you have people like Zoodles. Have I told you about Zoodles? I don't think so. So. <laughs> <laughs> Liz is looking very devious right now. So there is this woman that I started following on Instagram because my friend Kathy asked, not asked me to, told me about her. And she was posting pretty like, I don't want to say good recipes. They were like interesting ways to think about things for a while. Okay. And we call her Zoodles. Uh, her name's Ali Mufuchi. And she has invented a the Inspiralizer, which is a, a device that takes vegetables and cuts them into spirals, like okay. zoodles, which are zucchini noodles. Of course. She, um, shortly after I started following her, got pregnant and ended up giving birth on September 25th, 2017. Mm-hmm. And then had another baby after that. And she's uh, it very recently blocked me on Instagram. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. And I'll I'll post the full thread about this because uh, I posted about it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> because she fled um, New York City to Florida, mm-hmm. and she's literally staying in a friend's house. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be for free. Mm-hmm. And has been there for a month now, six weeks. And people were like, hey, um, you know, some people were like, fuck you. This is this is so selfish. But yep. other people were like, hey, I followed you for a long time and I've appreciated what you've done. But I don't really think you're acknowledging your privilege here. And I specifically was like, what are you doing to give back to the community? Because it was in this moment because I kind of liked to I kind of liked to dunk on her. Yes. But it was a little bit. But I still made her recipes sometimes. Okay. Um but it was in this moment that I realized that sh- I had never seen her ever post anything about philanthropy or giving back. Okay. Either something she was doing, something she was encouraging her followers to do, a way that she was tying it into her brand. Mhm. And I am not here for that in late stage capitalism. Mm. If I'm like going to support a company, I need that company to have uh, good built into their fucking plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like Tomboy X, which is my favorite underwear company, I'm wearing them right now, uh, is supports, does huge advocacy for LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. So like, and it's like a queer company. So like, yeah, I'm going to support them even though their underwear is more expensive. Also, their underwear is my favorite, but. So, part of the reason I liked dunking on Zoodles before is she doesn't recipe test anything besides making it one time. Mm-hmm. So she, um, for example, is, you know, in, in she lives in Jersey City normally, in a very high rise where she's, like, looking over the fucking bay or whatever to New York. And... What, river? I don't give a shit. Go on. And (laughs) the water. And so she doesn't have a porch or anything. So she doesn't have a grill. And so she's down in Florida and she has this grill. And like, so now Kathy will send me like the most egregious things she posts. Mm -hmm. And she was like, 
she grilled for the first time tonight and is like, do you guys want grilling recipes? And because of this, she ends up with these, again, some of her recipes are fine. And I think that a lot of them were more fine earlier. Like, I think she did do more recipe testing. But now that she has these two kids, she's not, which again, I get because she's a parent. But it just also means that she does goofy shit like, and this was actually something else I was smug about, but we'll, uh, I'll just bring this one up here and talk about something else later. She made something that she was calling Spanakopita. Mm-hmm. Do you know what Spanakopita is? Yes, I do. Primarily because there's an episode of the Venture Brothers. Speaking mm-hmm. of old business, one of my previous <laughs> topics, there's an episode of the Venture Brothers called Spanakopita. So could you explain to me what it is? It's like Greek spinach bread. Sort of, yeah. So it's um, uh, phyllo dough. Oftentimes it comes in triangles. So when Emma made it, she made them in these little triangle pouches, but it doesn't have to be. It's phyllo dough with um, feta and spinach and some, you know, other things as a filling. Yes. And then it's usually usually served with like a sauce. Okay. She was like, I made this like spiralized spanakopita. And it was like, it was like potatoes, like in a pie dish Mm -hmm. that she had put spinach, eggs, and uh, feta on Mm. and baked. And I was like, nothing about this is spanakopita. You have some of the ingredients, but you have this other main ingredient, which is eggs, which doesn't make any goddamn sense. And... Uh, not like a large part of spanakopita is the technique, right? People eat spinach and feta all the time, mm-hmm. but it's like that plus the phyllo. There's like butter involved. Like there's a whole texture and like um, craft aspect to spanakopita that you can't just sort of throw the ingredients with potatoes instead of phyllo dough because it's healthier into a pie plate and be like, "This is spanakopita." Um, but <laughs> you know, she never would have gotten. To that point, and she never would have gotten to these, like, goofy-ass recipes if she actually recipe-tested anything. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Bon Appetit's the fucking best, and uh, other people need to actually recipe-test, because otherwise the recipes are going to suck. And Zoodles can go to hell. I mean, I think she's there. She's in Florida. But I'm she... dumb. <laughs> so, one one more thing about her. And then I, And then I can pick from the hat again. Yeah, so Kathy texted me today this. So she posted a picture of a dead bird next to a cup. Zoodle's dead. (laughs) And she said, you guys, in the past two days, three animals have died at this home. A rat, a crow, and now a little bird. I'm so creeped out. What does it mean? And I texted Kathy back. I was like, Zoodle's, it means you cannot run the coronavirus and you're next. (laughs) I'm going to pick something else from the hat now, if I may. Speaking of, uh, this says Dana colon practicing proper social distancing during COVID-19. Oh, yeah. I'm very smug about that. Because like, I, I get, I just want to say too, like, I think that there are times when exceptions have to be made. And, um... You know, this relates back to Zoodles, too, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is that, like, driving to Florida uh, is not social distancing. 
you're not making New York safer because now there's less people there. Yeah, no, quite the opposite. In fact, <laughs> I think that uh, uh, there are a number of places around the United States where uh, the amount of ca- or the number of cases, excuse me, can be directly traced back to uh, people leaving New York City to yes. go there. Uh, so <laughs> anyone, anyone who's left New York City in the past uh, three months or or maybe or more. A little bit less than that, but yeah. Or three months-ish. Yeah. Uh, big... Uh, Big, big, yeah, big. (laughs) I don't like womp womp, but yeah, that's that's a nice way of saying what I what I was going for there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and also, I already told somebody to go to hell, so I'll just repeat: go to hell. (laughs) I mean, the other thing too is that, like, um, I understand, like, like if my brother called me right now and said, "Liz, I've had, I just had a panic attack, and I feel like I'm dying." Because I haven't seen anybody in uh, two months. Yeah. I would just be like, I'm driving down to you, you know, or you're driving up here and that's just that, right? Sure. But this sort of like general, like, I walked out to my fucking car the other day and two of the security dudes in my neighborhood were just talking to each other. Like it was a normal goddamn day, like three feet apart from each other. Mm -hmm. And I was like, one, you should be wearing masks because if I... If you're getting anywhere near to me, you should be wearing a mask. And you're a security person, so you might. And two, you're talking to each other. What are you doing? <laughs> and, like, mm-hmm. we're in hell. We're in hell. We have got to make things as easy on ourselves as possible. I, uh, I, uh, are, are you using Zoom a lot for work or something? Oh, constantly. Else? Okay. Constantly. Are you having fun with backgrounds at all? No, and let me tell you why. <laughs> because my computer isn't nice enough. Oh, yeah, that's so I'm sorry. They tell me, like, basically, all of my coworkers can do this except for me and Cl- and Claire and Laura, mm. who's um uh now on maternity leave because she had a baby. Uh-huh. And so oh, that- <laughs> I even it basically says like to use the background you need a green screen. Yes, well, and I do not have a green screen, so the one day I. I I put a green blanket behind me. That did not work. And once, but what does happen is occasionally when I'm wearing a shirt, it will pick up only the shirt. Just to clarify, it says to you, you need a green screen because your computer doesn't meet the system requirements for. Yes. And if I try to unclick it, it's like your computer isn't nice enough. (laughs) Right. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so I just brought it up because um, I've been having a lot of fun with Zoom backgrounds, and uh, I I uh, did a Google image search for hell, and I I downloaded an image that I have not deployed yet in any work meetings, but I have it in my back pocket for that day when I feel comfortable uh, putting it behind me and saying to my coworkers, uh, I'm in hell today. Coming to you live from hell. I um did have a coworker who had a Zoom background that was a table with a plate on it, and it only showed his head, and then so it was just his head on the plate. Very good. And he did the whole meeting like that. I I don't approve of that last part. <laughs> to be fair, it was a um baby shower. 
Oh, okay. Well, I don't really approve of the whole thing just because that's a trick I've seen someone do on the <laughs> internet before. And I just, I think it was probably plagiarism. <laughs> Next uh, topic. Next topic. Stop telling me I don't need a temperature to make candy. Yeah. Okay. Explain that one to me, please. So, anytime I start to feel like I would like to make candy or caramel, I start looking for recipes. Uh, I was just, can I do the John Mulaney thing for a second? Yeah. As one does. <laughs> <laughs> As one does. For example, um, that's plagiarism. What I just did. Can- candied almonds covered in chocolate. Okay. Caramel chocolate tart with ganache on top. Nanners on cereal. <laughs> Not related to candy making. Sorry. <laughs> Do you know about candy making? <laughs> I, I know uh, everything I know about candy making. I know from. Uh, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So here's the thing with candy, with sugar. <clears throat> sugar has different stages that it reaches where it will be a different texture depending on the temperature that it is. And the okay. stages are very specific. So let me just okay. look up the temperature ranges to give you an idea. These are the different stages. Caramelized sugar, hard crack stage, soft crack stage, hard ball stage, firm ball stage, and soft ball stage. Basically what this means is that once the the, the sugar cools, mm-hmm. it will be these textures. So if you were to take some of it like while you were heating it and throw it in cold water, for example, between 235 and 240 degrees, that soft ball stage is going to turn into a ball that you can squish. Mm-hmm. If you uh, do this between 250 and 265 degrees, it's hardball stage, and it'll be a hardball, yep. like rock candy. Soft crack, which is between 270 and 290, if you put it into the water, it'll go <clears throat> almost like um, shattering glass. But okay. then once you pull it out, it'll be pliable. Hard crack, same idea. It goes, <clears throat> but then it you can snap it. Mm-hmm. And so... Then when you get up to, it starts caramelizing between 320 and 338. And so, depending on what you're making, they will say, just, you don't need a candy thermometer, just cook it until it looks a specific color, like a dark amber. Mm -hmm. And maybe for people who are cooking candy every day, this makes perfect sense. You need to get a feel for it, you'll be able to tell. For me, a person who is doing it multiple times a year, but not that often, Mm -hmm. these are the reasons why this doesn't work. Okay, dark amber. Well, if I'm using a pot with a dark bottom, I will never be able to see what color it is. Mm -hmm. If I'm using a pot that is wider than maybe on a different day, it's going to look a lot different than if I'm using a smaller pot where the liquid's going to be thicker in the pot because it's going to look darker. So there have been multiple times that I have made candy and it's looked the right color and then the texture's been completely fucked because mm. it wasn't cooked long enough. And mm-hmm. I've never burnt sugar um, because I always pull it early. But um, if you just give me a fucking temperature, 
Mm-hmm. It's perfect. I do right. it perfectly. It's always right. I make these apple cider caramels that uh, from Smitten Kitchen, and it has a temperature. It's like 252 or something after you add other things. And you know what have never come out wrong? Those goddamn caramels. And so stop telling me that I need I don't need a, a, a temperature to make caramel as a layperson. I am not a professional chef. Continue. I can just see in my head the level of variance in the sound file that I'm going to see later <laughs> based on how much and how little you are leaning I'm towards so sorry. I'll the try microphone. To be more, I'll try to be more static. It's, I'm I just, very pumped up about these, but I, clearly I could not do a whole episode. That. I appreciate that. Just, just the most consistency you can offer, the <laughs> the the better. Um, okay, here's another uh, long one. Oh, it's another Kenny one. Mm-hmm. Knowing basic but necessary adult knowledge when you are an adult. Oh yeah, this drives me bananas. When <laughs> that's that's so broad, and it's so funny that you know exactly what to say. Based on that vague a prompt. It's going to be hard for me to talk about this where I'm not calling out specific people I've known in my life. (laughs) Well, can I say that I think that I might know that you're smug about this because of an interaction that, according to Dana, you had with Dana recently? Oh, because of her fucking contacts? No, because (laughs) of... In fact, I'm cutting that. Do you have a second guess? Do <laughs> you want to say, oh, but, oh, because of? Oh, because to of. To give me a, a good edit point. Oh, because of. And it was related to taxes. Oh, yeah, because she didn't know about paying her taxes for her book income. Yeah, it sounded a lot to me like uh, Dana was on the right side of this one. <laughs> and you sounded... She- pretty living up to the title of this podcast okay this is my problem so very often people will not know how to do something sure and either they get away with it or they don't but if they get away with it they think well it's fine Mm mm-hmm but then if they don't... History shows. They're horrified <laughs> and so mad. And I'm like, did you look it up? Did and, and not everything. But I had asked Dana, who has gotten multiple books published, how do you do your taxes for your book income? Because it's like a weird thing. And... Here's, here's, how, here's how weird it is. Yeah. It's a negligible amount of money that you don't have to file on your taxes. And you thought it was laughable <laughs> that I, Dana had never uh, factored that in. I thought That's how she I had, heard it. What I was horrified because I was like, Dana, did you not look this up? <laughs> um, because I think I am going to go over the amount. Well, congratulations. And it's be- but it's because I got an advance, and it's because I'm going to uh, Scranton University. Um, which I believe Dana also read at Susquehanna. So I'm just saying, it's not unheard of that 
she would have gone over the very small amount, which is $400. Seems like different circumstances. Also seems like a check your privilege moment to say the very small amount of $400. What I mean is that um, I think that I think that $400 is a very small amount because what you have to count it as is, is that you're a small business. So you have to file it as being like a small business mm-hmm. form. And uh, if you are truly a small business, $400 is a very low bar um, where I certainly wouldn't consider myself a small business, but I also yeah, don't. Yeah, almost seems like it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and like, maybe it's okay to not put so much stake in exactly what the government would have us do <laughs> in these circumstances. Right. I don't like getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I also uh, have found that, and this is this is absolutely a protective system, but if you are in the right because you have followed the rules most of the time, very often when you make a mistake, it's less of a big deal. Whereas when you make many, many mistakes over and over again, when you do make a bigger mistake, it is much more of a big deal. All right. Well, I think that Kafka would argue with you. Uh, I I started from a very cynical place here, so I I would love to pivot to being more open-minded. I have another example about adult things. I would love to hear another example in which I am on your side (laughs) buying into the idea that the burden should be on the individual in this scenario yeah, and not on a system uh, to improve. So, so, so go ahead. I think that um, this actually, I, this one actually does relate more to the system, but I, as a system, but that system is not like a um, government system. Okay. It's a system we many times all individually have to deal with, um, which is our parents. Mm-hmm. Which is part of the reason, I, you know, I know people that didn't make their own doctor's appointments until well after they had graduated college. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think that you should know how to do that beforehand. And the same is true. Even Kenny, when Kenny and I, I mean, this is like just with doing your taxes. The first year Kenny and I lived together, his parents' accountant did his taxes. And I was like, you should do your own taxes. And he was like, well, they can just do it. And I was like, yeah, but you don't know what you're doing. This is where you and this is one of those places where you and I differ. And it might be the key place where we differ (laughs) uh, because I have a real that's none of my business attitude about uh, this kind of thing. Well, see, this is why I have a problem with it. It's because, again, either with making doctor's appointments or doing your taxes or anything like that, doing filling out your own FAFSA if you're in college. I'm not saying that those people shouldn't get help from their parents or from other people when they're doing those things. I'm not saying we should throw these people in the wild. But very often, I have found, parents will do these things for their children and then be annoyed and frustrated when their children are not independent. But also, they're not doing anything to give their children the resources to do these things themselves. And we also always hear this sort of trope about people bitching about um, 
like education and how they don't learn we don't learn how to do taxes in high school and how to sew a button or whatever yes but like very often how to buy a house how to buy a house very often that's because the people around us are enabling us to not learn and the thing is is that when you're younger all of those things are a lot easier most of the time so like doing your taxes when you're 16 is way easier than when you're an adult because usually you have a single w2 so it's just it's just literally being like here's the form here is the form i was given let me match up the numbers and figure it out so then when it does get harder for example if you do own a house or if you have a child or if you are being paid as a contractor and you need to figure out how many how much taxes you have to pull out you have at least a sense of what you're looking at Okay. I'm sorry. I'm really, I, I, my brain froze when you said 16. That was when I had my first job. Okay. And again, I'm not saying that you should just put a child in front of TurboTax and call it a day. I'm saying you should show them how it works. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I take that back. I was 17. Okay. Um, but so yeah. what, what was your other example? Oh, just parents, doctor's appointments. Okay. You, you should make your own doctor's appointments and be in control of your own medical history. And again, not saying there shouldn't be a partnership there or help in navigating the system or, you know, health insurance is hell. But, uh, yeah, you should be able to make your own doctor's appointment when you are 23 years old. Because the other, and the other thing here is that you should be comfortable advocating for your own health and that's an incredibly difficult skill i do not want to downplay how difficult of a skill that is but if you can't even if you don't even know the proper procedures for the basic level of and you know level of entry which is making a doctor's appointment um and granted i think this is also something where i as a sexually active woman have had to go to doctors way more than some of the men i know Uh uh-huh because I had to go every year to make sure that they would keep giving me birth control. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, I've had issues with my knee and stuff. And, um, you know, I've had uh, MRSA and I was hospitalized. But, yeah, like, I think it's important. Because this also, and then also, again, this leads back to things like sex education. Because if you can't, if you aren't, if you don't have the skills to see a doctor... How are you supposed to do things like get the protection and health resources you need when you become sexually active, which oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes people do during this time period I'm talking about, which is like 16 to 24, where their parents are oftentimes doing things for them. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people just won't do it at all, which is not good. Yeah. Um, I'm finding that... uh... I don't, uh, that, you know, there's plenty that I, uh, rely on my parents for to this day. Um, historically, uh, just loads, uh, of stuff. Um, and, um, now, it, and then also, uh, Dana's figuring out a lot of stuff that affects me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
yeah, I'm I'm kind of coasting through life, and uh, well, maybe you should uh, take some initiative, Will. I think it's going okay. So, um, uh, what if Dana dies? Do you have information about her life insurance policies? Uh, I mean, no. I get. I mean, uh, no. I mean, we haven't uh, we haven't done the will thing yet. Which may, we didn't we didn't make wills until um because we don't really have property, but we didn't do wills until um Elliot was born. He's right. our property. Yeah. Uh yeah, I assume uh that I assume that's with her family. Um yeah, cuz like I know for example before we were even married, my 401k the benefactor was Kenny. Cuz you can put mm-hmm. whomever for the benefactor. Yeah. Um uh but yeah, like I do so I do our taxes now for Kenny and I cuz we file jointly cuz we're married. Mm-hmm. And that's better. Um, but I make him watch me do it every year. Oh. And I ex- and I explain to him, like, <laughs> hey, like, I uh. did this child tax credit because we have Elliot in daycare and so we can claim $5,000. Mm-hmm. And I tell him that and I show him. It's great. Uh, and, how, because, and, how did he do, and how did he do on the quiz afterwards? Uh, flying colors. Great. Because, well, I could die. Uh-huh. Any moment I could die. If and I had to figure I've... it out, I could. And, <laughs> and I, I will always have someone to help me. Yes. Whether it's a friend, a family member, or me. a professional. Or me. Yeah, I said a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm your pod husband. Yes, uh, yes, I also have my pod husband. But yes, I, I have a real problem, especially with parents, because I feel like parents, a lot Just... of parents that I've known both insist on their children being independent and yet do not give them the resources. And I'm I'm not, ta- I'm talking about like, you know, parents that have the resources, mm-hmm. parents that have every opportunity to be able to teach them their kids about these things. Mm-hmm. Next topic. Next topic. Great. This paper says, Freeze your tofu. Oh my god. Do you know about this? Well, I know it's been on the list for a long time. So when I was um, in high school, I cooked vegan dinner at the Lower Paxton Youth Center, um, a place I've mentioned before. It was a small squat building, municipal building, where we had shows. And um, for two years, I once a month cooked um, an entire vegan dinner, and then we um, would have programming with it. Sometimes we'd have a poetry reading or a talk. Or sometimes we would just hang out and play games or just hang out. And um, I was cooking a lot of tofu. And in fact, my entire junior year of high school, I um, cooked a tofu sandwich, a fried tofu sandwich for lunch every day, which I had with um, veganaise, sriracha, spinach, and pumpernickel bread. And it was delicious. And um, I had learned from this woman, Lauren, uh, who was vegan the year before. She had cooked the vegan dinner originally, and she was vegan. That to get the crispiest tofu, what you need to do is freeze it. And that is because if you have normal tofu that you've just taken out of the package, it's kind of like a wet washcloth. Uh, it doesn't ever really, uh, there's a lot of water that's in it. You can press it between uh, two pl- You have to come up with a contraption where it's like a plate and then another plate with some towels in between and then some like cans on the top. And it's like very dangerous. 
And then you have to let it sit for like 32 minutes to an hour to get water out. And even then, it's still like pretty wet. And then like oftentimes you'll see recipes where it'll be like, um, you need to like coat it in like cornstarch and then you either have to fry it in a lot of oil or you, you're like baking it and like very like carefully taking like a fish spatula and turning it over so that you don't ruin the crust, which you've like very carefully created. And um, when you freeze it, it turns into like a sponge where you can hold it over the sink and squeeze it and like a cup of water just pours out. And then if you slice it to like pieces where it won't fall apart and put it between towels, it'll um, like release even more water. And then you can either bake it or you can just fry it in a pan and it gets perfectly golden, perfectly crispy. It's not um, precious at all. You can just do it, put some soy sauce on it, and it's great. If you're doing some sort of sauce with it, you can put it on at that point. It'll get nice and crispy too. Um, and for years, I have been trying to get people to do this because up until very recently, and I mean like 2017, I could find nothing on the internet that described this. Mm-hmm. And so I um, started bothering Deb from uh, Perlman from Smitten Kitchen, the website, and co- she's the cookbook author of um, two cookbooks, uh, Smitten Kitchen Every Day and the Smitten Kitchen Cookbook. Like, hey, you keep making these tofu recipes where you're doing this like insane amount of prep work. You could just freeze your tofu. And she finally posted about it. She finally said, a reader has long been bothering me to try freezing my tofu. And she linked to a comment I had written about freezing your tofu. And um, I've had other people say to me that it makes a different texture and they don't like that texture as much. That's fine. But if you're trying to get crispy, chewy, like meaty, um, like something that really is like a solid sort of protein tofu and you don't want to have to deep fry it, um, freezing it is the way to go. And it drives me nuts that people will go out of their way to, like, do all of this other stuff, which is just so much more work. And it can still fail. That's the thing. If you, you know, if you crowd your tofu in the pan after you do all this work, it's going to steam and it's still not going to get crispy. Next topic? Yes. Great. (laughs) I just let you go on that one. Uh, This is uh, one from Dana. Ooh. And it just says punctuation. (laughs) It says Dana colon punctuation. Oh, my God. I mean, I feel like we've covered a lot of this. In the grammar episode. I will say, as I think I've mentioned before, the M dash N dash thing uh, drives me bananas. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also devastating to me that people think semicolons are complicated when they're not. Mm-hmm. They're way less complicated than a comma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm not speaking about this in terms of, like, people just writing a Facebook status. But, like, if your job is to create copy. <laughs> While we're just repeating things from a previous episode uh-huh. and you, uh, talking about M dashes and M dashes, I'll just repeat uh, my uh, definition of uh, these different punctuation marks that are uh, often confused. Mm-hmm. Uh, an M dash is a horizontal line the length of the letter M. Mm-hmm. An N dash is a horizontal line the length of the letter N. Mm-hmm. And a hyphen 
is the horizontal line that everyone refers to as a dash. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's and, the definition of hyphen. And I will say the world is working against us. I recently edited um, a, it wasn't a document. It was, it had been put into a program um, for continuing education Mm-hmm. And that program automatically changed all of the M dashes into hyphens, <laughs> which didn't make any sense to me because, like, you know, there's like Unicode, right? So, like, each piece of character, each character has like a Unicode tab to it. So, like, it would make sense if you were doing something like between fonts or something like that. But, like, the mm-hmm. Unicode for an M dash should be different than the Unicode for a hyphen because they can put M dashes in. Yes. And just. Briefly, so we all know that there's no N dash and no M dash key on the keyboard. Mm -hmm. And that most times if you're using Microsoft Word or any similar thing on your computer, the way to create an M dash is to put two hyphens and then the next word. And then when you hit space, the the dash will be there. Mm -hmm. Also, in a more recent previous episode, we talked a little bit about stimulus checks. <laughs> Did you um, receive a letter uh, about... Oh my God, you have it handy? Yes. Do, okay, so do you know what I'm going to bring up in the letter? No. Oh no. Oh, fuck <laughs> me. Fuck me. I have never been more horrified in my life. This president is such trash as if I hadn't been convinced before. That seems like it must be like a personal affectation or something, right? It's three hyphens. It's three hyphens and they have been converted to nothing because it's not a real piece of punctuation. Right. It's just, it's visibly three hyphens in a row. Oh my god. I'm so glad that Dana put this on just purely so that I could physically pull this piece of paper over, which clearly I didn't read it. I'm glad I opened that letter and could remember it when this topic came up. Can I right. I will tell you one thing though. They got my name right, which I was impressed by. Be- it better, says Elizabeth better, Morris Lakes and Kay Lakes. Better than some people uh you know personally who I can think of. <laughs> Uh, next topic? Yes. All right. We finally, uh, I finally found one from Sarah. Mm. Okay. This actually, I'm interested to see if this will bring up something new or if, or if this is too similar to what we already covered a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Sarah writes, people who are not organized. <laughs> you know, I just want people to be good at their jobs. And I <laughs> good luck. <laughs> I say good at their jobs loosely, right? Mm, God. I hope it's very loosely. And I I also am not speaking about like um you know, like a target employee that's being critical of the fact that we're buying my male assigned child a dress. We all remember that story. I mean, uh, if you are a secretary at a doctor's office and your job, uh, is to call me back because I've called and left a voicemail, I should not have to call again 
under normal circumstances or regularly. How about that? Mm -hmm. And I'm always way more interested in how people uh, fix their mistakes than the mistakes themselves for the most part. You know, there are Mm -hmm. some things like murdering a black man who's going for a jog that not really interested in how that mistake is fixed because that's just fucked up and Mm -hmm. systemic systematic racism but if somebody misspeaks in a meeting or um you know handles something poorly i care less about that thing and i care more about how they apologize for it or rectify the situation okay um But that said, I, and I'm not the most organized person in the world. Like, my kitchen table right now has kind of got piles on it. Like, my bedroom has piles on it. But I'm not misfiring the things I need to do because of it. And if, I'll put it this way. It puts a lot of stress on me that I don't realize that I have to be organized because I feel like I'm covering for everyone else. Mm. So when I got picked up by Mason Jar Press, I love them for so many reasons. They're mm. good, kind people. Yeah. They're um they're all punk rock. Um they're like queer. Um they are, you know, interested in community and giving back to community. But they're also I'm not the most organized person in the room when I talk to them. You know, I, when I, when we were planning stuff, I certainly Mm. put in a lot of effort. Um, And they said, you know, you know, the effort that you put in is going to mirror the effort that we put in. Um, So, like, I set up a lot of stuff, but they also set up a lot of stuff. Uh And Michael Tager, shout out Michael Tager, my managing editor, has not only called me, but texted me in the past month to just say, hey, I just want to let you know, we're still going to have a launch for you. Yeah. Like an in-person party. And I don't want you to ever think that we've we've forgotten about that. Oh, that's great. And so when I am smug about being organized, part of it is that I am, I, it's like, it's sort of like, um, what was that movie? Do you know the horror movie where there was like a buzz going the entire time? Huh. Interesting question. I guess I don't, based on that. There's a horror movie. It's like a psycho or like some classic movie. Okay. That the whole time there's like a buzz. Okay. Like a low tone. Uh Uh-huh. And then there's a scene where the thing is going to happen. Yeah. And it cuts out. Hmm. And so suddenly it goes from being like, you don't really notice it, to being silent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what working with Mason Jar has been like, where this buzz that I hear all of the time was just gone. Mm-hmm. Like this low level of tension I carry with me is like mm-hmm. not there. And yeah, that's why I'm smug about being organized. <laughs> that's great. I'm really, yeah, I'm glad that you've had that uh, positive experience, um, especially at a moment when like, uh, so much as, you know, the, the, the stakes are high, at least emotionally, uh, mm-hmm. you know, getting your first book, uh, published. So that's, yeah, I'm really glad that, uh, you found each other, um, just serendipitously through, through no you, one, 
Oh, 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 right. Oh, right. Yes, that's right. It was my idea. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I'm forever grateful. uh, And uh, I started, I actually started that being sincere. And then I just fell backwards (laughs) into... No, I know. I think I I understood. Um, I understand. uh, uh, And the other thing I wanted to say on this topic is I have said uh, on the podcast before um, that uh, I think one should expect uh, incompetence uh, everywhere Mm -hmm. um, from everyone in all walks of life. And I want to amend that or not amend it, but add to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I've said this on the podcast maybe i have but what i have come to believe is that which i already stated and also uh everyone is doing their best yes and and i yes. understand and i understand i understand not feeling that way sometimes and i understand being frustrated with people showing incompetent levels of not being organized of not fulfilling their responsibilities of not doing their job or at least that's the way we perceive it based on how it affects us um i believe that in a sort of i believe in a sort of tautological way Mm -hmm. that everyone is doing their best Mm -hmm. because if they could have done any better than they then they then that then that's what they would have done Yeah. And I think I'm pretty much on board with you there, too, because like I said, like, I'm not I'm not going to Karen anybody. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. when that woman, as I think we discussed, I actually don't know if we got into this on the podcast, but when that woman at Target was questioning um, Mm -hmm. Elliot being in a dress, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people were like, did you did you complain about her? And I was like, I'm not a snitch. Right. Snitches get stitches. Yes. And um, she was wrong, but she also came from a history and a culture that probably really taught her that that was the safest thing to do and that she was probably trying to keep us safe too. Right. And so, um, yeah, that, yeah, I think I, I'm there for you, with you. Cool. Together. Cool. Next. Next. Thank you, next. Oh, that song. Uh, here's another one. F- oh, well, okay. <laughs> I feel like we're running the same bases. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Sarah, again, uh, writes, people not returning her emails. <laughs> <laughs> these, are, these are two separate issues, apparently, in Sarah's mind. I Yeah, I just get so sad. Actually, it's not that I'm smug about this. I'm just sad about it. I think you and I have talked about this. I feel like... I feel like... I feel uh, like you actually kind of gave me a bit of a complex about it. I gave you a complex? Because you sort of suggested once that my emails were too long, and that's why people weren't writing me back. Oh, when... um, How long ago was this? Was this recently, or was this like a while back? Like within the past year. Past year? Maybe a year and a half. Okay. Sorry that stuck with you when it is something that I clearly don't remember saying. <laughs> and, then, and then every so often I get really upset about it and I cry a little bit. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to feel too bad about that because of what I know about you. <laughs> and, and, and How often I, I cry. Yeah. What a, uh, is, uh, is hair trigger the right term? What, uh, what a hair trigger you have? 
Am I using that correctly? <laughs> I don't know, but sure. You know what I mean. Yeah, I'm um, sensitive. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that uh, what what I think that uh, people not returning your emails uh, may make you sad, uh, but then also to hear you talk about that, uh, I think that you have come across in the past as being indignant about it and therefore it might seem like a smug a smugness topic yeah because it seems like you it the way you talk about it it seems like you can't wrap your head around like how could anyone not how could anyone and like how could 30 people or something like that you know it's less Uh, this one person and more like a lot of people. Right. <laughs> Consistently. Yeah. And Which I is have when just... I was like, oh, something's wrong with me. And you were like, yeah, the thing that's wrong with you is your emails are too long. Yeah. I, I, I so I've kind of, okay, here's, here's the thing. I, this is, this is my, this is in line with my expecting incompetence sort of way of being, right? Yeah. It's just like, okay. I, if I want a response to an email, I can't count on it and I'll never be disappointed as long as I believe uh-huh. that I, I can't actually count on that to happen. Uh-huh. However, there is sort of a paradox in the workplace that I've perceived. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, that two things seem to simultaneously be true and the first is that it that if you are pressed on an email and and your lack of response to it whoever you are you are allowed to say i'm sorry i just get so many emails mm-hmm. and, and that and that is an acceptable excuse. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's simultaneously true is that like, it has to, it has to be an email in order to get done. Yes. Yes. Like it has to be in writing. There has to be a record of it. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to point to that Proof. record if called upon. Because otherwise you're the one in trouble. Yeah. And, and otherwise it's all just like, well, I remember it like this, but, so-and-so remembers yeah. is like that and blah 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 so um i i i have struggled with this in a in a work setting just being like well okay like seems like if i want it done it has to be email but also at the same time anyone is allowed to say that like email <laughs> there are so many emails that that just reduce it's like supply and demand it's like the market has been flooded with emails (laughs) and therefore the value of each individual email is completely degraded and the other thing about this is um like at my job so i had a conversation at my job with the dude who is like two people above my boss so like wow my great great grandfather And this is somebody who... As opposed to your your daddy. Yeah. Your, your business daddy. <laughs> my business daddy. My business mommy, really. But um, mm. 
Uh, quite sexy. He, he's somebody that I, I've worked with and I've had skip level meetings with him. And, and occasionally he's only one above me, but right now he's two, if that makes sense. Sure. And um, I said something to him where I was trying to get him to let me take a picture of him for like a holiday thing we were doing. Uh-huh. And I said, Lex says that I should ask you who's was who's a was my boss at one point. Mm-hmm. And he said, why do you think you saying that Lex said this is going to convince me? And I said, well, she's more important than I am. And he said, I mean, maybe she has like a higher position, but she's not more important. And I was like, yeah, that's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe Uh, like outside of this office, that's true. But we're in the office and there's a little something called chain of command. And so part of this email problem is that people who are higher up can just not answer emails ever in their life, Mm -hmm. basically. Yep. And I don't work with many people like that. But they cannot answer emails ever in their life, and they will absolutely, literally never have any consequences. Oh, yeah. But I will have consequences. Of course. And so part of it is writing. I mean, unless somebody literally were to call me like a cunt, then there would be an email. (laughs) There would be no consequence. Because that I could send to HR. The one scenario (laughs) in which an email has consequences. Um, so, like, for example, this dude who I adore, who's, like, um, another one of these, like, boss figures, you know, every year, this year was fine, but, like, every year we have to do this report, and, you know, we give him, like, a full six days to review the report, and we send him the schedule ahead of time, so that he knows which days he's going to be reviewing the report. We make sure he's not going to be at a conference, because there's a conference that's always in this specific time period that he goes to. Sure. And he's always late. Always, always, one hundred percent of the time. And do you know yep. what that means? It means that I now don't have three days to edit the report. I have half of a day, and it's already late because he's gone so far over. Yeah. Um, and we, I have email to prove that I, I'm not late in a way that's my fault. But mm-hmm. yeah, the the power there. It's like, and so whenever people at work are like, "Well, you know, we don't want," I'm like, "That only goes so far." Mm-hmm. Because in the end, we know how this is going to play out. And none yeah. of you are that malicious, but that doesn't mean you couldn't be. <laughs> yeah. I, and I work not... with very, very good people, but the structure is just there. Like, Well, it's times like this that I am glad that the people who I work with are all a family <laughs> and that I am a member of that family. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, they gave me a button. They had buttons made when we came up with a new set of values. So we used to have six values, and now we have four. This was like a year ago. Wow, the culling of the values. So we um, got pins, and one of them, like, so the, the, the values are responsibility, innovation, um, expertise, and collaboration. Okay. So we got pins, and one of them said, I am an expert, for example. I got that one, which I was pretty good with. Yeah. But then the other one said, I am company name. And I was like, no, I'm not. Because you could fucking fire me tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm guessing they won't take the button back. Yeah. It, it's not like hand in your gun and badge. But also, where am I going to wear this pin? Like, I work for the self-regulatory organization where they very have very specific rules about what you can and cannot say on social media. Because it doesn't want to seem like an endorsement. Because we're dealing with the financial sector. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm not going to wear a pin to the fucking mall, like, mall. <laughs> and by mall, I mean, like, uh, in D.C. Sure. That says, uh, like, 
I am company name. Mm-hmm. When, and then, like, have a picnic and drink a beer. Like, so anyway. Uh, next. What's the next question? Next topic is Dana. Oh, huh. Dana writes, proper contacts, storage, and cleaning. <laughs> I knew the contacts were going to come up. Uh, so I have daily. I have dailies now. I actually don't have dailies at this exact moment. But normally I have dailies now. And the reason I have dailies now is because um, a couple of things were happening. Um, my eyes were getting dry, like, pretty early in the day. And also because um, I was getting, they would do this thing where they would flip my eyelid inside out and take a picture of it. And underneath my eyelid was getting inflamed. Clockwork orange. Yeah. Oh, worse than that. It's like the worst (laughs) thing. Clockwork orange, they're doing this. They're literally flipping my eyelid inside out and holding it there. Mm -hmm. And being like, be still, where everything in my body is screaming, blank. Yeah. So uh, they switched me to dailies. Um, But that said, I had very good contact hygiene before this because i knew that this was a problem for for a few years like um i you know initially when they said your eyes are looking a little bit inflamed i was like okay i just need to really up my contact hygiene which is and i've been wearing contacts since i was 13 so it's been like 27 years or no uh, 17 years mm-hmm. it's been almost two decades and so which is which is you know, in the morning, you take your contacts out of the solution with hands you just washed moments before. You put your contact in your hand, you put the multi-purpose solution in it, and you rub it to get off any um, protein that's built up in your eye the day before that's now been disinfected and sort of softened throughout the night. And then you rinse them, and then you put them, whoop, my, con- my headphones just fell out. And then you put them into your eye. Um... And every day you use new contact solution because what it's doing is disinfecting your contacts so that you're putting this thing into this wet, open space that we, for some reason, decided was a good idea to have. We decided as a race, Mm. as the human race, that we should have this open wound on our eye that we used to see. (laughs) Terrible idea. A college, Dana, would not change her contact solution For like a full week. And at one point I was like, Dana, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, I don't want to spend money on contact solution. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Dana, I have Mm -hmm. literally had my eyes been inflamed. my, And they've told me that I will not be able to wear contacts if I continue this behavior. This is not a thing that they're trying to trick you. And so recently, I got a single pair of trial monthlies because we're in a goddamn pandemic, and I'm almost out of contacts. My normal uh, eye appointment is in May, and they can't see me until June. And I said, is there any way I can just order more contacts, like like a three-month or six-month supply? And they were like, has your prescription run out? And I said, I don't know. You are my eye doctor. Mm -hmm. If it runs out, for example, on May 8th, can you order me new prescription contacts now? And they were like, no. And I was like, so what they did was, is they gave me a single pair of monthlies. Now I've never had monthlies before. Before that, I used to have contacts that were every two weeks that I would then stretch out over like a month or a month and a half. Fortnightlies. Yes, fortnightlies. 
And I remember getting, I had to go buy contact solution, which I've not had to do for years because I, I have dailies. So if, you know, I don't, I basically, I have like a thing of saline solution, which I only use to rinse off my contacts if like I'm about to put it in and it drops into the sink. And I said to Dana, oh, I was thinking about you because I remembered how you um, wouldn't change your contact solution in college, but I was like, surely you change it now, right? And she was like, well, <laughs> to which I responded, you have money now. <laughs> because again, one of the, ar- which I realized, I'm not sure she specifically remembered the argument from college. Mm-hmm. But part of my point, in co- like part of her argument in college was like, I, this is money that I'm not spending. And my point was, you know, I think that uh, you need to, your eye health is important. <laughs> but now we know that she has disposable income, which I would argue is not really disposable because it's for eye health, for enough contact solution to change your contact solution every day. But now it is apparently not a week. She said it's every three days. And I was like, She's like, my eyes are fine. They have not been infected. And I'm like, yeah. okay. <laughs> that's the only, personally, that's the only argument I need to hear. She's been totally fine all this time and had no problems. So. Does she, how bad are her eyes? I don't know this. Do you know? I, I don't need like numbers, but like. I don't really know how to measure these things because <laughs> uh, one thing that I'm very smug about is, is that your have, 2020 vision? No, it's better than uh, 2020. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> I have superior to 2020 vision. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you ask me how bad someone's eyes are, I'm like, I, I don't know. I, without my see. contacts in, so one eye is significantly worse than the other. Without my contacts in, this this um, wonderful letter from the White House that we received, mm-hmm. to clearly read it, I would need to hold it about uh, what is this, four inches from my face? Yeah. Um, you know, when people get older, they eventually need uh, reading glasses um, mm-hmm. just to read things, um, even if they, or cheaters, they sometimes call them, even yeah. if they have not needed glasses before in their life. And my boss is like this. And I said to her, if I ever need reading glasses, it just means I can't see because right. I already have to hold things without glasses so close to my face Yeah. that uh, it just means I can't see anything clearly at all. Holding up that letter from the president you just held up a moment ago, imagine not being able to decipher that beautiful signature at the bottom <laughs> of the letter, how, how I, uh, poor your eyesight would have to be uh, for that not to read as Donald J. Trump. But yeah, uh, I mean, my point is, if there's a simple thing you can do that will prevent you from having a large medical issue later, you only get one set of eyes. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Just do it. Okay, I don't have why, to worry about that. Why press your luck, Dana? I well, you know, you you go that long without having any any problems, and it doesn't seem like pressing your luck. Mm-hmm. So my view. I hope she lives a long life. Next topic. Yes. Don't wash mushrooms. Oh my god. Do you know about mushrooms? You, uh. <laughs> I mean, I've heard of, I know of them, yeah. So mushrooms. You could have just. Can I just say? Yeah. Just an observation. Yes. If this is the grab bag, Uh and these are the topics that you put into the grab bag. Yes. I guess one of them was Kenny's, but you could have easily done like 
a, a like cooking themed episode. Oh, maybe. Just taking all of these food related topics, uh-huh. forgetting brassica, which was a different thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's tied to your poetry and everything, just appreciation. But like the, you know, getting down to like cooking meals and stuff. That's we're we're in the kitchen a lot we in are. this so-called grab bag. Um. So mushrooms are like these like weird porous little sponges. Fungi. And yeah. And the ones that we interact with most um, as people not getting fancy mushrooms are something like a portobello, a cremini, a button mushroom, really thick, dense mushrooms. Um, you know, even a sh- like even a shiitake um, is more common, but that's like not that one is like sort of veering away from that. And, um, you know, Pennsylvania is the largest producer of mushrooms in the United States. Do you know this? I did not know that. I know this because of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Um, he visited a mushroom farm. And they oftentimes are underground, cool caves. Um, our dear friend Kim has tried to grow mushrooms uh, in Arizona and uh, grew some, but did have problems because they just could not get the temperature to regulate enough, which is why caves are good, because caves are incredibly regulated, um, both in winter and summer. Mm-hmm. And so mushrooms are grown in very nutritious soil, which is oftentimes poop. Mm-hmm. Which means you want to make sure that your mushrooms are clean, surely. But if you rinse them off or like dunk them in water, like bobbing for apples, <laughs> you suddenly take this thing that's got this very delicate balance and you make it slimy and gross and weird. Mm. Even rinsing them um, maybe won't affect the whole mushroom. But it'll make the outside slimy and gross and weird. Like, immediately. Okay. And so, you should not wash your mushrooms. You should brush them with a cloth or with, like, they make little brushes that look sort of like those shaving cream brushes. You know what I'm talking about? Those old-timey brushes that you'd use to froth shaving cream. Yes. You look sort of like that. And um, part of the reason this drives me so bananas is because... There are people that don't like mushrooms, but I think part of the reason they don't like mushrooms is because, for example, their parents always washed their mushrooms and then they were gross. And yeah, they're gross. Like, related to this, my mom never liked Brussels sprouts as a kid. Yeah, because her mom boiled them. That's a terrible way to eat a Brussels sprout. (laughs) We did talk about that when we talked brassica. Yes, and this is the same with mushrooms. Like, don't wash them. Which is the other thing you is, in most cases, you should not salt them if you're trying to get them browned, which you might not always be trying to get them browned. If you're trying to get them browned, you shouldn't salt them until later in the process, um, unlike an onion, right? An onion you want to salt right away because it sweats and releases a lot of liquid and then it begins to brown. Mushrooms are the opposite. If you salt them too early, they have so much water that they'll um, essentially steam and then they don't get that brown Maillard reaction you're looking for. Okay, I'm going to ask a question now mm-hmm. that I think is going to sound stupid, and I'm going to ask it proudly. Okay. Wash, uh, cleaning a mushroom mm-hmm. with a dry brush yes. rather than rinsing it or washing it. Mm-hmm. Why should that count as cleaning it? Why should that count as cleaning a mushroom when I can't clean, say, my hands that way? 
because of because you can't then put your hand into a very hot pan. You're saying the hot pan does some of the cleaning work? I'm saying that if you just if you have dirt on your hands, let's just go with dirt. You're you've been gardening and you just wipe your hands on a towel. Uh and there's no dirt visible on your hands at this point. Uh you probably still need to wash your hands. If you take a mushroom, which the most mushrooms that you get aren't going to have a huge amount of dirt on them is the other thing. Cuz it's not like they're all like it's not like they're underground. They're not like a truffle. Um it's just that at their bottom where they cut, they can sort of get some. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that can then transfer the way that they're in the box to the top. You're brushing the dirt off. And then when you're putting it into the pan, you're heating it really high, to at really high heat, probably. And so uh, that cooking is doing, uh, if there's any weird microbacteria, or I guess just bacteria, they're not microbes, microbes or bacteria, um, that's killing them. Okay. That's why. So why use the brush? Because the brush, because that way you don't have like physical pieces of dirt in your food. Okay. You're buying you're you're buying food with dirt on it, or Have you're you just fine, or are you just foraging these. <laughs> no, this is these are ones that you buy, and again, it's not like a huge amount ever. Um, yeah. I feel like whenever I've bought mushrooms, uh, I there are either like caps only, mm-hmm. or they're like pre-sliced, mm-hmm. or I. I don't I don't recall any dirt being involved. So caps on portobello mushrooms are high enough off of the ground that you're probably not going to get a dirt situation. Mm-hmm. Um sliced pre-sliced ones are going to be part of the reason they're more expensive is cuz they're going to do a better job of cleaning them. I'm talking about buying like button mushrooms or cremini mushrooms that are mm-hmm. whole and that mm-hmm. have a stem. Sure. Some mushrooms you can get are still attached to the roots. Okay. If you get fancy mushrooms from like an H Mart situation, ooh la la. Mm-hmm. So my next question for you is, uh, how long would you like this episode to be? Let's do like two more. Okay. Next topic. Dana, not putting sliced bananas on top of banana bread. I'm so glad this came up because <laughs> I forgot We're- to add it myself. We haven't left the kitchen. <laughs> I did have other ones, but you just haven't gotten to them. Okay. Um, and we will maybe just do it later for a grab bag in another season. So there's been this recent trend to put bananas on top of um, banana bread. And so what this looks like is like a loaf of banana bread. And then it's like a banana that's been sliced in half long ways. Mm-hmm. And it's like sort of like two parentheses. Yep. Um, with nothing in between it except some banana bread. Yeah. And I could not figure out why this was happening because uh, it's gross <laughs> is the short reason. But like... Hey, speak on that. Do you like banana bread? Yes. What makes banana bread good? There's so many iterations of banana bread and they're almost all good. Uh, sometimes Dana puts chocolate chips in it. <laughs> yes. It's warm, usually. Like, usually you eat it warm. Even You know, I usually even reheat mine. Okay, um, yeah, I've never done that. It's sweet. Um, 
but not super sweet, depending on how you make it. Mm-hmm. It's got it's got warming spices, so like a cinnamon or a nutmeg or an allspice. Okay. And then it's um cakey, you know, it's just a comforting thing. Mm-hmm. But part of making banana bread is that you have these bananas that are overripe usually. Yes. That's what makes it so sweet. I mean, you're, yep. you're also adding sugar a lot of the time, but that's where some of the complexity of the sweetness is coming from. Mm-hmm. And you're mashing them up. Um, or in my case, I oftentimes, if I have a banana that I'm not willing to eat, but I'm also not ready to make banana bread, I throw the whole thing in the freezer. And then when it's time to make the banana bread, I warm it in the microwave for like 30 seconds and sort of squeeze it out in a horrifying manner. But it's okay because it's going to get all mooshed up. Mooshed. And it's going to go in the banana bread. It's going to be a good time. And it's mm-hmm. moist. That's the other thing. Banana bread is like so tender and soft. Um, it's never going to be dry. because, And that's partially because of the bananas. Okay. And, um, Just quick question. Yes. When you've made banana bread, mm-hmm. how, how many uh, bananas are going into a banana bread? And just general size. Three to four. Um, if they're very large, three. If they're smaller, four. Okay. I did make a banana bread recently that had a full two cups of mashed bananas, which was like five bananas. So, but it you, was a so, banana bread that specifically was described as towering. So a moment ago, I think I heard you say a banana bread's never going to be dry, and that's because of the bananas. So yeah, the bananas are adding and, moisture. Yeah. And so, could I extrapolate from that that if a banana bread were to be dry, perhaps there are too few bananas? Yeah, probably. If it's just mostly bread, if it's just mostly flour, and then you know you're baking it for the same amount of time as a banana bread with enough bananas, then it probably just means it overbaked. I see. Because um, you didn't have that, you're just throwing off the whole chemistry of it. Yeah, I don't do any baking myself, uh, so I'm just asking as a, a a consumer. Yes. Um. So when you take a banana and you put it on top of banana bread, what happens is the top of the banana gets really dry and tough Mm -hmm. because banana bread also is a bread that bakes for a long time. It usually bakes for like 50 minutes to an hour, maybe more if you have like, depending on the size of your pan and stuff like that. And so, because it's like a thick thing you know it's like it's a dense rectangle and so it's essentially starting to like dehydrate and dry out Mm -hmm. and then when you do slice it you just have these two hard nubbins of banana on the top Mm -hmm. and it's a bad idea i read one place that suggested you could sprinkle sugar and butter over the top of the banana and that would sort of create like a bananas foster type situation where you sort of have like a Mm. soft caramely thing i'm not saying that that would be impossible to do but i did try this and Mm. it failed it did not work it did not prevent because the sugar and the butter basically just melted right into the bread and left the banana exposed (laughs) to become Mm -hmm. dry and tough and terrible and then when you cut slices of it you get these hard nubbins and it's not even like you're getting a benefit of like a larger chunk of banana Mm -hmm. um or like a little special, you know, it's not like a cool crusty piece where like, oh, the top crust is like the best part of the banana bread. Yeah. 
And yet there is this trend to put bananas on top of banana bread. And I cannot figure it out except that it must be for the gram. That's what I was just going to say is that to me, this kind of banana bread only exists in pictures that I have seen online. Mm-hmm. And I, and I have seen those pictures and I have thought to myself, huh, that's interesting. That looks pretty good. And You maybe probably th- thought to yourself also, huh, that's banana bread. Yes. As opposed to, huh, that's a loaf cake. I've never thought that in my life, but okay, <laughs> yes, I accept your premise. Um, yes, which is exactly what our friend Teresa Beckhusen was saying, you know, it's a way to indicate to somebody who's only looking at a picture what exactly they're looking at. Yep. But I still call bullshit on it. And this is a, this is a time that I'm, again, I'm going to be smug about Bon Appetit, but in the opposite way. Molly Baz uh, just recently posted a picture of banana bread that she had um, uh, developed. And it had the fucking bananas on the top. And I was like, you know better. Because she also just put out a recipe for chicken parmesan that she developed with Adam Rappaport, who's the editor-in-chief. And do you know the, the paradox with chicken parmesan? The paradox? Yes. I certainly don't. So chicken parmesan is supposed to be both crispy and saucy and cheesy. But the sauce and the cheese are really working against the crisp. Okay. And so a lot of chicken parmesan has a problem where you bake or fry a cutlet and then you just make it soggy. Mm -hmm. And so it's not good. (laughs) And so she uh, wrote an article about developing the recipe. And um, every single thing that she did was to make sure that you got all of the parts of the texture that you were looking for. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the chicken cutlets always fried because frying gets a deep crunch in a way that baking does not. The sauce, heavily reduced. And so it's um, very thick and, um, you know, one step below being like a paste. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the cheese, when you put it on top, so then you're very sparing with the sauce. You serve like a sidecar of it. And the cheese on top is put under the broiler for all of two or three minutes because that minimizes the amount of time that a wet cheese like mozzarella is on this crispy, crunchy, craggy crust. So for Molly Baz to post this picture, I'm like, you know better. This is not the purpose of this. And you know better because you just wrote a whole article where you were obsessed with texture. So yeah, don't do it. I'm very smug about this. And I, I, I'm waiting for somebody to explain it to me and for reasons that aren't vanity. And uh, I'm not I, saying there isn't something wrong with doing something that's pretty, but like functionally, stop doing this. It's not useful. <laughs> it's not good. I feel like this is a case where vanity is a good enough reason. <laughs> and if it begins and ends there, I'm fine with it. But also, Will, bananas look gross. Disagree. Cut baked bananas? I've I've seen the pictures of the bread and I thought it looked good. Ugh. Uh, one more. Yes. All right. A lot riding on this one. Yeah. A lot of pressure. Uh-huh. Take us home strong. Let's see what you got for me. A little slip of paper. <laughs> Two words. Mm-hmm. First is Sarah. Second is vegetables. <laughs> so. What does she want great, me to say about vegetables? Great job, hat. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> 
you are smug about vegetables and uh thank goodness we haven't talked about this before <laughs> or else this would be kind of anticlimactic i think i think that Sorry. something we haven't necessarily talked about before is that um there are people that don't like vegetables and I understand that there are people with picky, that are picky eaters. And I also stand that there are the people that have a lot of anxiety about food. But um, those sort of understanding that those exist. I think that people just need to try more vegetables and try them in different ways. Because I think that, again, we have a situation like Brussels sprouts. You know, you just didn't have it a good way. Um, and... The thing is, is vegetables are, like, one of the best things for you. Like, they should be, like, largely what you're eating. Um, You know, I think, you know, I'm very smug about, like, food science. And I think that there's a lot of nuance there. And I also think that different diets are going to be very specific for different people. But, like, um, you know, a lot of us just need to be eating more vegetables. Like, I eat vegetables for breakfast a lot of the time because... I know that I do better when I start my day with a lot of fiber. And one of the ways that you get a lot of fiber is vegetables. Um, And that's part of the reason why vegetables are so good for you too, is because they have fiber in a way that a lot of other food groups just don't. Um, And I think I've mentioned this before, maybe even in this episode, like I'm not vegan. I'm not vegetarian. I've until, you know, I've, I've never had to follow a specific diet. Um, But I eat a lot of vegetarian food. I eat a lot of vegan food. And, um, part of that is because I'm eating so many vegetables. And I think that if you look at, um, it from a health perspective, but also from an environmental perspective, um, we really just need to be thinking more about how we can make vegetables more accessible. Because part of the reason that non, uh, non sort of green leafy and or other colored vegetables, um, non starchy vegetables are not as readily available in um, places that don't have as great access to food is because the other markets are subsidized by the government. So you're going to have, like, corn is super cheap because it's super subsidized by the government. Mm -hmm. So corn-based things are going to be super cheap. Wheat-based things are going to be super cheap in a way that if we were to put that same money and that same heft behind more diverse food options... Um, people would be able to eat more diverse food options more readily. And I think we'd all benefit from it, both the world and climate change and our bodies. Um, That's what I say about vegetables. Do you have any opinions about uh, any of the trendy meat substitutes of the past few years? I'm thinking of Beyond Meat and Impossible Meat. Yeah, I think... I think they're good. Um, I don't, I can't say like it from an environmental or a processing standard mm-hmm. what they're like. I haven't really looked into that. <laughs> um, I eat meat and I also eat fake meat. Fake meat. I said to Blake the other day that, because Blake's been eating some um, Beyond Burger, I think, or I forget. I think it was the Beyond Burger. And um, I said, you know, when I'm eating like a burger type situation, like I'm honestly interested in like all of the <laughs> categories of things equally. Like, the bun and the lettuce and the tomato and the pickles or caramelized onions or whatever. So the patty, it's not that it necessarily means less to me. It's that it is, uh, as long as it's sort of just like 
hot and salty and um, has like that umami. I don't really mm-hmm. care where that umami is coming from. Right. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I like them. I oftentimes eat them like when I'm out because oftentimes I get – I do get a little bit weird about meat sometimes. It just is like too meaty. I have no way else to describe it. Like leftover meat specifically. Hmm. Like, if you reheat chicken the next day, sometimes it's just, like, there's this, like, it's, like, too metallic in your mouth. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, like, oh, I hate it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm into them. I had a, there was mm. a place that opened called Dog House, mm. spelled H-U-S, that sells um, hot dogs, but, like, fancy hot dogs and sausages. Yeah. yeah. And it was, like, a bar. Um, I would take you there if you were ever to visit me. And Hell yeah. And we in the middle of a pandemic. Um. And I like that place a lot. But the thing that I got when I was there was the um, sausage, the Beyond Meat sausage. Ah. Um, because also I think sometimes there's just like no – I'm also like – I don't think that we should always just be replacing meat with something that is supposed to look like meat because I think that's going to disappoint you. Um. Yeah, but I think if it's done well, then that would be my first choice in a lot yeah. of scenarios. And especially with something like sausage, the thing that you're getting from sausage a lot of time is actually the spices and sort of, again, the hot, crispy, you know, on the outside, soft, wet on the inside Don't thing. Don't, don't count out the snap. And the snap, yes. And so um, you can recreate that uh, largely in a vegan or vegetarian application at this point in our lives. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I say I say do it. But yeah, when I say like that I eat a lot of like food that's vegetarian vegan, I'm not eating like necessarily just like something but I added fake meat to it. It's like I'm eating something that exists all on its own. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Final question. Uh I don't know if you've been uh taking any notes uh or tallying as we've been doing this, but Assuming that you haven't been keeping yeah. track in any yeah. way, mm-hmm. uh, could you tell me how many topics we covered in this episode? You know what? I Listen, I couldn't control what other people put on here, but I'm going to look at the email I sent to Dana. Okay. The, the, I, the question that I was asking would be answered just by a number. I, I'm just I don't know. A- how many? Seven? That's your guess is that yeah. I, I pulled seven pieces of paper yes. out of the hat in, in uh-huh. the past uh, hour and 45 yes. minutes approximately. Uh-huh. Uh, do you want to know the correct answer? Yes. 12. Oh, we did. We really did cover a lot then. Yes. So I just want to tell you that on my list, um, one, two, three, four, five of them out of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I sent were not food related. Yeah. So we really just got lucky. <laughs> and I also counted how many are left, and there are uh, only eight left in the hat. So okay. I guess there were twenty total to begin with. Great. Well, this was a lot of fun. Yes. Thank you for arranging a secret surprise for me. You're welcome. Uh, everyone, buy and read Ashley Sugarnotch and the Wolf. Uh, yes. book of poetry by Elizabeth Deanna Morris Lakes. And uh, do you have anything else you want to say? Um, I love you. Um, I'm glad um, that we are having a good week in the pandemic, you know, as good yeah. as it can be. Mm-hmm. And I, I will tell you 
that um, I know that your um, delightful parents reminded you to tune into my launch. Yes. So I will remind you that Sunday is Mother's Day. Ah, oh, thank you. For On their behalf. That's very nice. <laughs> thank you very much. And I love you too, because you said it a moment ago. Mm-hmm. And I hope that you will uh, finish the week strong and yeah, continue to have no breakdowns and uh, yes. a, a, an okay time. Yes. Give, you know, under the circumstances. Yes, agreed. What, what passes for okay uh-huh. these days. And see you again soon. Bye. See you next week. Bye-bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngest of one, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram.